A Christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about Christian topics. It is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a Christian perspective. Christianity provides a comprehensive view of the world. Christianity is a worldview. Worldviews are the grids. They are the lenses through which we frame all of reality. Hey guys, welcome to episode two of the Black Berea podcast. I'm Damien. I'm here with my bro, Kofi. Just wanted to say thank you to everybody who's heard the first podcast. Make sure you check it out if you haven't already. For real. So, Damien, how are you doing today? I'm well, bro. Really excited to talk about the things we've got coming up on today's podcast. How about you? Yeah, I'm nice. So, what's on the show today? So, today we're going to be talking about Stormzy's number one album, Gang Signs and Prayer. Come on. And we're also going to be talking about Oscar award winning film, Fences, featuring Viola Davis and... Denzel Washington. Guys, if you haven't seen it, I'd definitely say you should go watch that film. Yeah. Viola Davis becoming the first black actress to win an Emmy, Tony and an Oscar. So shout out to her for the black excellence. Yeah, for real. So in my mind, when I'm thinking about this topic, as a listener, Mm. I'm thinking, where do Christians get the biblical grounds for critiquing culture in this way? So do you want to answer that for us? Good question. Um, I think it's important to establish that when we're talking about Christian engagement with arts and culture, we don't necessarily mean that it's just a complete immersion by the church or by Christians into the prevalent culture at the time. Sure. Uh, What we actually mean is that um, Christians stand to reject what is evil, respectfully, Mm. but pointedly. Um, They embrace and affirm what is good in culture and in art. And they speak redemptively to the prevalent culture or art of the time. So I think when I'm thinking about a passage that people commonly cite, Acts 17 is actually a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, So in there, what you see is Paul rejecting the brazen idolatry of the Athenians at Mars Hill. And he tells them that like, God is not made from gold, silver, or from stone. He's not an image graven by hands. Then you see him affirming what is good in, in that he says, certain of your poets have said, yeah. we are the offspring of God. Um, and I think that's important because he uses popular culture to engage with popular culture's consumers. Mm-hmm. And I think the important point there is that because all of mankind is made in the Imago Dei, Meaning. that means made in the image of God, we have the propensity to create art, um, that is beautiful, that is good, uh, that is noble. Yeah. Um, and thus Christians can appreciate things like music, art, literature. But the most important thing I think from the Acts 17 narrative is actually Paul speaking redemptively. So as Christians, we recognise that sin distorts our ability to produce good, yeah. noble content, um, have um, beautiful and noble cultures. But in Acts 17, Paul points back to the resurrection, judgment and righteousness mm. um, and repentance and while some of the people that are listening to him mock him, others say, actually, we'll hear you again of this matter. So it's striking to me that actually what caught their attention wasn't necessarily him quoting some of their poets, but him actually saying to them, you need to repent of your sin. Yeah. Um, and so I think that should show us that we can speak redemptively to the culture while also appreciating some of the stuff that emanate from it in terms of arts and literature, etc. Right, sweet. Thanks for that. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to episode two of the Black Berea podcast. We are truly blown away by the love and support from episode one. The Facebook likes, the follows, the tweets, the messages, all of it. We really appreciate it. We just want to remind you where you can connect with us on social media. We are on iTunes. I repeat, we are on iTunes. So just search Black Berea and you'll find us. So please rate, review and subscribe. The Twitter is twitter.com forward slash Black Berea and the hashtag is Black Berea pod. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Black 
and you can also find us on Instagram. So thank you so much for the support. Thank you for the love. We love ya much. All right, so we're sitting here with our brother Israel, who's also a member of the Black Berea team. Israel, how you doing? I'm good, bro. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to hear you speak today. For real. First time <laughs> and how are you feeling? Nervous? No, 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 no. Don't, lie nervous, nervous, Don't lie to the people. Don't lie to the people. I've got heart still. All right, I guess so. <laughs> okay. Um, before we get into the discussion about Stormzy's gang signs and prayer, I think it's important that I just give a couple of disclaimers. Yeah. Um, firstly, this is not intended to be an exhaustive review of the album. Um, this is an album with language and content warnings, and we are not, as Blackberry, are intending to give an uncritical endorsement, um, nor is it an examination of the spiritual benefits or, or, or dangers of listening to hip-hop, mm. rap music, mm. or grime more generally. Yeah. There are some resources that, if you want to use, you can go and use those to help shape your mind as it pertains to those issues. Now that that's out of the way, yeah. what's your general thoughts on the album, guys? Israel? I surprisingly liked it. I don't know, I, I thought I've expected it to be a typical, quote, typical grime, uh, mixtape type, wannabe album kind of thing. Okay. Um, but it was... A, Far more structured than what I anticipated, and more varied mm. than what I anticipated. And so, in that in that sense, I was very surprised, and I think, you know, in, in a good way, surprised. And so, it made me enjoy the the album a lot more. Kofi, what about you? Alright, so for me, I thought musically it was incredibly versatile. I'm not a fan of grime, but when I came to the album, I heard grime, I heard rap, I heard singing, I heard mm. all sorts mm. of things. He definitely sung so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. And there was tons of topics that were spoken about, from mental health to appreciation for a mother to life on the streets mm. and so on. Um, so I thought, very good album. And for me, personally, I'm really here for black success. Yeah. Um, Having said that, my commitment to black success doesn't override my commitment to Jesus Christ the Nazarene who died for my sins. So I think mm. one of the other aspects, <laughs> Tell on, <laughs> one of the other aspects of Stormzy's album that I didn't quite like, in fact I didn't like actually, was some of the abhorrent content. Some mm. of it was very violent, very dark, and I think those elements of the album are things that we ought to speak on negatively. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll open some of that up. We'll yeah. perhaps look at some of the lyrics and stuff. I mean, just from my perspective, again, I agree that the album was very versatile. Um, not your typical grime album. For sure. And I think this might be one that helps to propel grime, for example, as into the kind of stratosphere of mainstream music genres. Yeah. Um, myself, also not a huge grime fan. And I kind of thought like, how would Stormzy's fans who know him from Shut Up relate to an album like this where mm. he expresses the versatility of messages? Mm. Um, and actually, one of those um, important messages is his discussion in Blinded by Your Grace, mm. part one and part two. Yeah. Um, now, I guess as Christians, we have a concept of grace. And so I definitely have to ask, what do you guys think is the biblical concept of grace? Right, so I think, firstly, it's important to say that from our understanding of the scriptures, there are two ideas of grace that's prevailing. Mm, yeah. The first is what is known as common grace, and the second is what is known as special grace. So if I deal with common grace and you deal with special grace, we can sort of work from there. Sound good? Go ahead. Yeah. All right, so common grace is dealing with God's kind disposition to all of his creation, right? including Christian people. Okay. Mm. So what we find in Psalm 145, for example, is this refrain. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. And Christ, when he's speaking to his disciples about how they ought to live, mm. refers them to the fact that God extends his kindness to just men and to unjust men 
in the particular example of allowing rain to fall. Right. So in biblical times, that's quite an important thing because that, that leads to crops, that leads to men being able to feed themselves. So we get that. So that's one element of it, common grace. There's another element. Yeah, for sure. I was going to get there, but it's happening now. <laughs> the second element of common grace, which Israel was alluding to, is this element of common grace that deals with the restraint of sin. So what we find in Genesis 20, for example, is God restrains Abimelech from carrying out his particular desire of heart towards Sarah, Abraham's wife. Right. So in that particular example, what we have there is a man who wants to do a particular course of action, mm. which would be sinful, fornication, right. yeah, and God actually restrains his sin. So that's a common grace that's actually extended to some degree to all men. And so that's why, I guess, not every man is bad as... They could be, I guess, yeah. They could be. So that's why not every man's like Hitler or any other example of someone who often ostracised as very evil. Israel, saving grace. Saving grace. Um, Well, in contrast to common grace, um, which applies to all people without distinction, saving grace applies to a particular people who are set apart from the rest of the world. And so we're thinking specifically about Christians here. Mm -hmm. Um, And a good way to think about special grace, saving grace, is to use the acronym... Um, God's riches at Christ's expense, grace. And the idea is that... Um, I've never heard that before. That's a good one. Yeah, I got it from Timothy Brindle, so shout out to Timothy. <laughs> You're definitely joking, right? <laughs> no, for real. For real, I've never heard that, that acronym before. Oh, well, go ahead, go okay. ahead. Um, so yeah, God's riches at Christ's expense points to the fact that Christians are given something that they do not deserve, mm. um, which is that God looks at them favourably, um, that he, he gives them his riches, and what we're given is at the expense of Christ, which means that Christ takes the sin away from us that was actually deserving of punishment. So when Christ comes on earth, he lives the life that we could never have lived and mm. dies the death that we should have died. Okay. And then so he takes our sin, which is deserving of death, when he goes on the cross and we receive his righteousness. Right. And that's the riches of, of God that, he, that is bestowed on us through Jesus Christ. And that's the grace that when we as Christians look to, we recognize that we're not in the faith, quote, because we're good people right. or better than other people. Mm. Um, so it, it protects us from this sort of pride where we can say, I know that I, I'm in the faith because of what I did. Right. I look around and I'm better than these other people. No, I'm just as worse. The only difference is that God has looked upon me with favour and has given me something I actually do not deserve. So, so in a sense, it's like a gift. Yeah. In fact, the Bible calls it yeah. a gift. Yeah, um, Ephesians 2. Right. So, I mean... I'm so itchy right now. <laughs> Why? Right. You said just as worse. I'm sorry. Just as bad. Anyway, let's carry on. Grammar nuts. Grammar, right. Um, so, one of the things, I guess, that we have to... Thinking of, of those two kind of definitions of um, common grace and saving grace. Yeah. Stormzy has two songs called Blinded by Your Grace Part mm. 1 and Blinded by Your Grace Part 2. Mm. Um, and he also did an interview in The Guardian with Miranda Sawyer. Um, now, when she asked him what... Or when, when she asked him what BBYG stood for, um, he told her, what do you think it means? And she said, better bring your gun. I was I was blown away by that, to be honest. But actually wow. what he meant was um, blinded by your grace. Mm. Um, and his kind of explanation of grace was like... Hold on. Are there implications for I, that assumption? There might be, but you know, okay. we're, we're going we're gonna to stay okay. clear of, okay. of, of that for now. Okay. Um, he says, it's about God. Uh, one of the things that I'm most impressed by in God is the grace that he has. No matter what we do, there's always this. Okay, it's fine. I understand. That's not to say I can go out and do something bad, but just that knowing that someone's got you throughout anything and they're not going to judge you. They're just going to understand your situation. That grace. 
How do you think the definitions of grace that we understand biblically kind of tie in with that kind of statement? Or if you want to refer to the lyrics in, say, Blinded by Your Grace Part 2. Um, I think what you read from Stormzy, biblically, I don't think is an accurate description of grace. Okay. Um, I, I don't, I'm inclined to say that what he described was probably in the camp of something like empathy, sympathy, mm. um, and that kind of category, category of thinking. Um, I think, <laughs> actually, I, I don't think Stormzy was too rad- was radical enough when he was speaking about grace in that, in that interview. I think grace is a lot more radical than that. Okay. That is not just someone who has your back and who understands, but it's someone who doesn't leave you in a state that they know is destructive for you and actually right. brings you out of a, of a destitute place. So I'm thinking, you know, if a person is in a particular context where um, in an environment is damaging to them and they're actually, you know, doing things that are wrong, yeah. grace does more than just understands the, the context of the situation. Mm. But pulls them into a, into a. So it's transformative then. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, and I, th- and I think that that dynamic or that aspect of grace is missing in in what Stormzy says, and makes me think that you know, it's not it's not radical enough. Alright, so for me, when I think about what Stormzy has just said, I think. I guess this is a caveat. He's not a pastor, mm. so a pastor has the mandate to preach the whole counsel of God. Bro. Someone who's doing music can, I think, legitimately focus on particular aspects, but they should be careful if they're speaking on these types of issues to offer a fuller perspective. One of the things I don't think is highlighted as much as I would like is where grace comes from. So it's not simply that God just overlooks sin because he can't do that. Mm. His character means that he has to look at sin and see it as heinous. Mm. It's because of what Christ does that a man can have special grace. Mm. And I think that element of it has to be highlighted even more. Right. In BBYG, um, part two, I think he speaks about brokenness as well. Um, and there's a sense in which we understand brokenness to, to grace to deal with brokenness. Um, but in what way? Um, so are we talking like brokenness in terms of situations that you're in? Mm. You've been broken by mm. situations or brokenness over sin, say that you'd see in a Psalm fifty-one. Um, I think when I look, when I when I listen to Stormzy's album, the brokenness that I hear from, you know, sort of the golden golden thread throughout his album is a sort of situational brokenness in terms of the pressures that life brings about, especially for him in the con- in the context that he is in, um, which is sort of the the low income communities of London, the streets. And the gang life, mm. um, and there is a certain brokenness that comes about from living in that that context and being forced to do things that you rather would not like to do. Mm. Um, and again, sort of going back to what I said with regards to grace, the brokenness that I think is painted in the scriptures is a brokenness that that seeks to not only show someone the true state of their heart, but actually recognize their greatest need. Mm. Um, which is a heart transformation, right. um, which is sort of, again, I'm not like, like, like um, Kofi rightly said, I'm not, I don't want to hold Stormzy to a standard of now he has to give an ex- exposition of Psalm 51. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, oh, he has to do that unless mm. I'm not going to recognize his album. But I'm saying that I just want to keep that in my mind. You know, when I think about the way he speaks about brokenness in contrast to a Christian robust understanding of what brokenness is. Sure. Um, 
All right, so those, are, I guess, are very helpful um, definitions just for helping us to understand what the biblical concept of grace is. Um, I mean, if you guys have been following the, the traction that the album has got, it's done crazy numbers on Spotify, mm. Apple Music, yeah, for real. Um, Tidal, um, and it's also elicited some crazy, crazy reactions. Like, so many people have been impressed with it. Um, but it's brought out some quite polarising responses. Mm. Um, I mean, one of the things that... Um, I'll say some of the things that people have been saying about the album is like, like, yo... It's driven me to church. It's driven me to prayer. There'll be songs I listen wow. to where I'm like, oh, <laughs> I want to smack this guy and then pray for him at the same time. Or, wait, wait, <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I read something crazy. Like somebody's just like, it makes me want to thump somebody and then pray for their healing. Um, but then we've also seen, I guess the, um, we've also seen the flip side where people have just been like, actually, when I listen to that album, mm. I can categorically deny mm. almost any uh, semblance of Christian virtue in Stormzy. Um, and so I guess one of the things that when we look at that album and we listen to the general theme of the album, Stormzy attributes much of his success um, to God. Mm. When you think about an album like Gang Signs and Prayer, how do you deal with the tension between the authenticity and sinful complicity that colour some of the lyrics? I mean, the first thing, I, I, I don't want to, I, I don't know Stormzy, mm. right? so I don't want to make judgments on the sort of stage he is when it comes to um spirituality mm. i mean i do recognize that even from a christian vantage point coming to faith isn't a neat straightforward um three-step process you know people can be at various stages in terms of um, brokenness or seeking out god and so on so i, I, don't, I don't know what stage he is and i can't make an accurate judgment about what mm. stage he's in um but i do think when you read, when you when you listen to the album, I don't know. It's it's hard to deny the the authentic the authenticity of his struggles and sort of at least interest yeah. in God things. He's quite he's quite open about yeah, it. Yeah, so I'm so I'm not gonna be like oh because there are other tracks that seem to endorse um, sin, therefore the 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 therefore stuff, he's not a Christian. Yeah, I'm, I, or that his stuff about faith is just irrelevant is false he's lying i'm not going to say that mm. um but i will say that i think it's the dynamic in and of itself between the sinful complicity and authenticity um i think helps us to understand as as christians looking at at the culture to understand that when we interact with people we're interacting with complex people mm. um, it's never straightforward as you know black and white categories for us to understand yeah but we have to recognize there are multiple areas to to any one person that we should engage with. Mm. Sure. Kofi. Uh, so I think the essence of Christianity is faith and repentance when we're talking about how a person becomes Christian, right? So mm. I think when we're looking at repentance, repentance, Greek word, I think is metanoia. You guys can call me out on that if it's You're not. right. I, I don't know. <laughs> you got it. So. Shout but, out to Israel for that. <laughs> <laughs> but in essence, it means to have a change of mind. So when you're viewing things as a repentant man, you've got to be looking at that with a change of mind, going from walking in the direction of sin to walking to the light, walking in the light of Christ. Mm. So when you're looking at things like violence in black communities and so on, I think it's so important that a repentant man has to speak of that in such a way to denote it as negative. Mm. Now, I think what was perplexing about Stormzy's album is there were times when he did that. He mm. spoke about the negative aspects of that reality. Yeah. But there were times when he reveled in it and glorified it. So when you think of Big For Your Boots, for example... <laughs> That song, I think, in <laughs> essence, is glorifying violent behaviour. Right. Which we would say 
is biblically sinful. Yeah. Right, right. So I think there's a massive tension there. And I think the essence of Christianity, as I've said, is repent- faith and repentance. Mm. And I think that has to colour the way Christians look at right. this album. Right. I think um, I think for me, like when I was listening through the lyrics of the album and just some of the songs, I think I, I discussed this with somebody. Um, one of the things that you just want to be mindful of is trying to understand where Stormzy's emphasis lays. Because almost it seems as if at some points he emphasises the approachability of God, uh, which we understand. But then on the flip side, he does it almost at the expense of his holiness. Um, and you don't want to be, do I say, negligible um, in dealing with God's holiness. Um, the scriptures call him thrice holy. Um, I think, um, what's his name? Um, A.W. Tozer says, if you have a partial view of Who's God... Who's he? Who is A.W. Tozer? Uh, That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought he was going to say Tim Keller. <laughs> <laughs> ha! Funny. <laughs> no, um, A.W. Tozer... Minister in in America, I think, sort of in the Chicago area, like sort of early twentieth century, um, and he, he has a book called yeah. the Knowledge of the Holy, and he 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 starts the book by saying that to have an incomplete view of God is to have a wrong view of God, mm. and so you have to always acknowledge all aspects of God's character. And so when you speak about you know God's approachability, which is a legitimate part of God's character, mm. if you de-emphasize or ignore his holiness at the same time what you're actually doing is you're creating a god who isn't the god of the bible because both have to be maintained and held in balance right um so i don't know if you guys have seen stormzy's interview with not for the radio yeah um great interview yeah yeah, yeah i enjoyed it actually he seemed like a really relatable character definitely um and it was a very interesting interview where he spoke about like his rise to fame um the relationships he has with his his uh, girlfriend his mother um, bringing the man them through bringing the man them through <laughs> so how they've been an important part of um, his success and how he's enabled them to succeed in their own individual spheres yeah um, but it was interesting because I wanted to highlight something that um, Posty asked him mm. um, so Posty was like I think after about an hour in the interview kind of asked him like damn like where's this church at be like mm-hmm. you're putting all these guys <laughs> on so what kind of blessing I think he's insinuating almost like yeah. how, how can I get this blessing um, and I think I guess it's important for us to establish, like, what is the importance of the church and why should we be attending? Good question, Israel. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to answer the question. I'm probably going to throw that back to you to answer. All I, all I would want to say is that the answer to the question sort of depends on, on who it's important for. So if we're talking about members of the church, it's going to be a different answer to if we're talking about those who are not in the church. Mm. Um, only because I think the role of the church changes in function depending on who the person is that's receiving or that's actually relating to the church. Mm. Um, so I guess when I think about the church, I think about it in uh, three ways. So if we're talking about specifically for um, believers, um, they're there to worship God. The mm. church is a place in which uh, worship to God exists. Um, nurture. So the church has an obligation to um, nurture believers. He gives men specifically for that purpose, for the building up of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4. Um, yeah. And then evangelism and mercy so also to the unbelievers the mm. church is um taught to go out and make disciples of all nations mm. Mm. but i guess as a kind of like a secondary function almost it also um say has a i don't want to say office what's a good word what's a good word a role a role <laughs> there you go a role in don't do that again. <laughs> a role in me, a role in, in <laughs> a role in demonstrating mercy also I, so, yeah. so kind of like parachurch kind I of functions that. um and, and i think 
The good thing about that is that it actually stops the church from being a almost self-serving sort of Mm. um, organization. That it's easy for members to say, okay, we exist simply for ourselves. But remember that just as Christ came to serve us, um, we also, once we feed on Christ and once we're served by Christ, we're also commissioned to serve others. Um, And having that as an integral part of the DNA of the church Mm. means that we actually inherently learn to always be self-sacrificial. Bro. Even to those who are not within the fold. I hear that. So I guess my question to you, Kofi, is what is the importance of attending a church? Right, so ultimately, I think there's three paramount reasons for, I believe, attending church. Mm. So Christ says in his high priestly prayer, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Right. And the church is the institution that has that mandate to preach the word of God. And that preaching actually takes place by men who are equipped with gifts by the Holy Spirit, who are also helped by the Holy Spirit to understand the word and to proclaim it. Right, right. Second point, I think, is fellowship. Now, the Christian life is one of those things where you're just not an island unto yourself. Right. You need the help of other people. <laughs> so that just reminds me of that um, poem from AQA Anthology by Grace Nichols, Island Man. But obviously, no man is an island. So go ahead, go ahead, sorry, <laughs> go ahead. Thanks, bro. <laughs> um, so Hebrews 3, for example, talks about the fact we ought to exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, right. that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Mm-hmm. That's one of the paramount reasons why fellowship is integral. Mm. So we can support each other that we ultimately will enter into the glory by persevering in the faith. Right. And finally, I think one of the things that actually, at times Christians, we don't maybe emphasise the importance of, is the sacraments. Mm. So in church... <laughs> bro, you felt, you felt I know point. where we go. With you <laughs> you, you carry on, brother. You carry on. But baptism, mm. I mean, mm. is an integral part of the life of the church as a means of grace. Right. And of course, baptism happens once. Once you become a believer, you're baptised. <laughs> and, so and so that particular event may not happen many times in the church, depending on how church growth is going. But the Lord's Supper... Yo! Disclaimer, there are differences of positions in baptism. Anyway, so the Lord's Supper, I think, is absolutely integral to the growing life of the Christian because it's a reminder, for all else what it might be, but Mm. it's a reminder of Christ who offered his body to be broken for believers to Mm. be saved, who offered his blood to cleanse and redeem sinners. Mm. I think those kind of things, preach word, fellowship, the sacraments yeah. are integral reasons why a Christian ought to attend church. I mean, is there, just on that just on that point of blessing, um, is there a sense in which we accrue blessing um, as Christians? <laughs> yes, I mean yes and no. It, it depends on how you define blessing. Um, uh, I think you're so po- postmodern. You're so <laughs> hey, 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 hey. There's post. There's, there's truth to postmodernism. As you know, let me stop there. Actually, I create trouble for myself. But um, the way Post is probably thinking of blessing probably isn't how um, it, it actually operates when it comes to the church and when it comes to the Christian faith. Right. So, we're, so it's not as though when you come to the church because you hint at some sort of acknowledgement of Christian beliefs or because you attend church even semi-regularly that everything you do is now guaranteed to flourish and to, to excel and to be really, you know, well done in that sense. Yeah. Which is what I think Postal was sort of alluding to when it comes to Stormzy and with his sort of rise to fame as an artist. However, I do think there is a form of blessing that exists for people who are part of the church um, in a spiritual sense. Yeah, yeah. In the spiritual sense of, you know... Um, Ephesians 1, 3. Yeah, and, you know, 
redemption and that sanctification and growing in Christ, mm. um, the drawing away from sin and getting closer to God. Mm. Also, just in terms of the, the, the strength of the Christian community, that we actually have people that we can rely on for our struggles when it comes to day-to-day lives and the, the things that we experience in this broken world. Um, and you know what? I don't know. I want, I, want, I want to spill this into, into um, in terms of what we do in the world. And I think there's a sense... Mm. Um, I'm going to no. try and qualify it. I'm, I'm try worried about what you're going to try and qualify it. There's, <laughs> a sense, there's a sense in which being a Christian does bring blessing to our affairs. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. I think, you know, okay, one example, because I can't be exhaustive. One example would just be the Christian ethic in terms of honesty, integrity, um, diligence, which you see in Proverbs, avoiding laziness, can be a means by which God brings about blessing in terms sure. of your work. Yeah. Right. So I want to say that if you or a, a true Christian who is actually involved and engaged in the church, there is a, there's a sense in which you will see the things you do in this world flourish because they will be based on Christian principles like hard work. I feel you. Um, and so on. I feel you. Right, well, guys, listen. Um, Gang Signs and Prayer, let us know what your thoughts were on the album. Um, we definitely want to hear what you guys thought of the album. Make sure you send us your tweets and stuff. But we'll be right back after this message. Hey, guys, it's Kofi, one sixth of the Black Brio podcast team. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just want to say a massive thank you for all of the feedback. Constructive feedback about how we can improve. Suggestions about what content you'd like to see us discuss. Your likes, shares, subscribes, all of that. Thanks for listening and we appreciate you. Now I want to discuss the black element of the Black Bria concept. On the last podcast, we discussed quite extensively the Bria element of the concept. But we didn't go into any great detail about the black side of the initiative. When Dami asked, so why black? I said that's because the team are black. And that is true, the podcast team is black right now, but that's only a secondary reason as to why we're called Black Berea. The primary reason, and I say it with my chest, is because we're targeting the black British community in England and more specifically in London. And I say that with conviction because we at Black Berea believe we have biblical backing for our thinking. And as one man has said, he who stands with God is always in the majority. On that note, let's turn to Romans 10. No, there was no issue with playback, I was just giving you time to turn there. Now I'm going to read the first verse, but before I do that, I just want to provide a short context to the book. So Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. His letter in essence deals with why all mankind have a need for the gospel, what the gospel is, and how the gospel changes life now and into eternity. And in Romans 10 specifically, Paul is about to launch into a clarion call for gospel labourers, and he starts by discussing Israel. The start of the chapter reads, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. In this text we establish three things. Paul has a particular burden, as shown by my heart's desire, that leads to particular action, his prayer to God, for a particular group. The them in this passage, as you'll see from the preceding verses, is talking about Israel. But adding on our understanding of Paul from throughout the scriptures, We actually know that Paul spends a considerable amount of time reasoning with the Israelites in synagogues about the faith as we see in the book of Acts. And in fact, in Romans 9 in particular, Paul goes as far as to say he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart and wishes himself cut off from Christ if it would mean the people of Israelite descent would know the Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And all of this is not inconsistent with his wider mandate to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Walking in that same lineage, we at Black Berea are committed to our local church. 
and we seek to advance the work of the gospel there to all men of all nations. But we retain a particular burden for the black British community. And that has led to much prayer and the action of starting this initiative, with our hope being that we'll reach our brothers and our sisters. We're not aiming to be lords over anyone's faith, but we're trying to be helpers to people's joy. And we believe that true joy is found in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his gospel. So does that mean this podcast is only for British black people? No, but it does mean many of the topics we'll deal with will be things affecting the British black community. We intend to offer a biblical critique. And as I'm sure you'll know, biblically faithful answers transcend race and speak to the whole man. So irrespective of your race or nationality, if you're enjoying and being edified by the content, carry on listening. And with that, enjoy the rest of the show. All right, guys, welcome back. Now we're going to talk about uh, Fences. If you haven't seen Fences, definitely encourage you to go out and see it. Did very well Mm. at the Oscars this week. So shout out to Viola Davis for winning her Oscar in Best Supporting Actress. Um, Sitting here with Richard, our resident husband at Blackberry and Kofi. How did you guys find the film? (laughs) I ain't got no titles. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, bro. Um, How did you guys find the film? Uh, Bruv, I loved it, man. I loved it. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was, I thought it pointed out a lot of issues, um, Mm. which I think it was meant to do. I think it was meant to highlight issues. And yeah, I I enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed it. Mm. With my wife and dad. Kofi? Yeah, I thought it was good. I properly enjoyed the character development. So I think that's something that happens as a result of it previously being a theatre production. But when uh, you saw what happened in the story, because there was so much invested in the character development, Mm. you actually were able to enter into the emotions of the particular characters as things happened. Yeah. So I thought it was an incredible film, actually. Good film. I was was thinking I was going to go there and see um, lots of dialogue. But like you say, the characters were actually very, very interesting. And the film actually brought out a number of themes. Mm. Uh, and I think some of those themes we'll be considering today. So I guess the first one that I, I was thinking about was when you look at uh, Troy, Troy, who's the father and husband um, yeah. in the film. Um, one of the things that you kind of get a look at is his take on fatherhood. Um, mm. Now, lots of conversations have been happening both inside and outside of the church about the impact of fatherhood and the impact of fatherlessness. Yeah. So we've heard from politicians like David Lammy. Mm. We've heard from pastors like Avodi Bokum. Um, who do place emphasis on fatherhood and fatherlessness. And I guess one of the things that the film highlights is what poor fatherhood could lead to yeah, or what the absence of fatherhood could lead to. So, I mean, I'll just give you guys some statistics that I found from a, um, a David Lammy speech that he gave to the Running Me Trust. When was um, this? So this was about 2012, um, yeah. just after, well, a year after the London riots. And he was basically talking about the impact of fatherlessness in his life or the fact that his father left uh, his home when he was 12. And uh, he came out with some interesting statistics. Um, Between one quarter and one third of UK children with separated parents have little or no contact with their fathers. Um, The figures given to the Runnymede Trust suggest that 59% of Caribbean and 44% of black African children grow up in single parent families. Mm. He then also spoke about um, some of the other negative impacts of um, poor slash absentee fathers. So in the London riots, he said uh, it was found that of the 19 arrested young offenders, only two had active dads. Now, obviously, we have to take some of these figures with a pinch of salt because um, a father not necessarily being present in the home doesn't mean that he's completely inactive in the child's life. And Um, it's also worth mentioning that a father who is present in the home 
doesn't mean he is a know, good father. He is active, yeah. um, so I guess what David Lemmy tried to speak about in his speech was the fact that it could lead to potentially increased criminality. Um, he also spoke about the effects of things like educational achievement, um, sexual activity and teen pregnancy, and also um, increased rates of suicide. Uh, not just talking specifically about the film, but what, what are some effects um, you guys think are a result of poor or absent father figures? Uh, should I go first? Yeah, yeah. go for it. Um, I guess, I guess, when I think about poor fathers, I guess first you have to just compare them to Christ, because we know that Christ was the perfect man. And uh, so whenever, so, so I guess that's a, that's a good place to start. And it's nice to think about in terms of Christ's three offices. So Christ is prophet, priest and king. And as prophet, you know, uh, men are to declare and teach the word of God to their families. You know, as priests, they're meant to embody uh, the morality of, uh, of the scriptures, you know, uh, the, the morality taught within the scriptures, as well as, um, you know, intercede for their family. And as king, they're meant to lead in a godly manner. Right. Um, I think the absence of those things ultimately does do detriment to the home. Right. All right. So Richard said a lot of things, and I agree with a lot of that, actually. And I think one of the things he touched on was the fact that um, Christ exemplifies the morality that his people ought to follow. And I think when mm. you're looking at that in the, the life of a father and his children, what you see with Troy is when he speaks about his um, experience of his own father, that actually has a detrimental impact on how he goes on to live his life. Mm. So he didn't have the good example, and that leads to him being a poor example for his children. So it's cyclical. Exactly that. Yeah. And I think a second thing actually is, and particularly with young men actually, is when there's that lack of father figure. So in the biblical ideal of a family, you have a husband pouring into one woman, loving her, devoting himself to her with mm. much loyalty. What that inspires in a young man is the understanding that that's the pattern for how things are to follow. So the same way that that's Christ's relationship with the church, that's how the young man ought to be when he's looking for a spouse and once he finds a partner, how he ought to behave himself. Mm. What you find actually a lot of the time in the black community specifically is the total opposite. Manhood is actually defined by the number of women you can have interactions with. And that's actually a distortion that I think comes out of the lack of example that's been shown by a person's actual father. So I think Troy exemplifies both elements of that. He exemplifies the starting, you know, having a poor father and how that leads to the impact. But also in terms of how he interacts with people or how he interacts with women, actually, you find that he struggles to continue on in the Bible's understanding of fidelity to one woman. Right. I think that's, a, that's an interesting point. I think another thing that I realised from the film is uh, you, sp you, you spoke on uh, manhood. And one of the things that Troy kind of embodies is um, how, how he takes care of his family. He talks about it in a way that's... Um, onerous and burdensome mm. Uh, mm. rather than giving sacrificially and loving personally yeah. when his when his um, son asks him you know do you like me he talks about the responsibility as as if well this is just some obligation i have to fulfill mm. rather than giving of himself and wanting to do that in a way which is um of is loving yeah as long as i make money there we go then you know I'm the man in the house. Kind whereas, of you know, you can make all the money you want and still be an absent father in many senses. That do you like me question was stress. <laughs> and I, I, think, I think, sorry, I think that's just one of the, one of the, the interesting things about the film is that though we kind of see a non-traditional family structure, many of the things that they discuss or that are portrayed in the film are actually pertinent for 
nuclear families. Yeah. yeah. So even those kind of father son dynamic relationship dynamics. A few uh, a few sons that are squared up to their pops. To their, <laughs> you know, um, wife mother. Um, sorry, wife mother. <laughs> None of us. Man. None of us. Wife mother. Um, I said wife, mother, like that's actually a thing. Um, it can be. Husband, wife. <laughs> Sorry, husband, wife relationship dynamics um, was another key feature um, of the film. So I guess when we, when we talk about these things, the natural question to ask afterward is then how can we combat um, the perpetuation of non-nuclear families in the black community? Hey. Okay. <laughs> Alright, cool. Um, I think actually this is where the gospel speaks actually quite powerfully. So one of the criticisms that's often thrown at Christianity is this criticism that it doesn't have any impact in the here and now and you guys are too otherworldly. Now, you know, the first thing to say is if we're focused on heaven, that's where we ought to be focused. Mm -hmm. But having said that, Christianity not only saves a man's soul for all eternity, but transforms him to be useful in the here and now. Mm. So when the gospel comes to a man and he accepts it, he finds his views on family actually transformed. Right. So he sees that he has a commitment now uh, and a privilege to lead a family that honours the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. So he's meant to be an example to his wife and to his children and how he conducts himself. And I think if we look at that as a way for the destruction of non-nuclear families, for us in the black community to combat the issues that we're finding with non-nuclear families, I think actually we'll find much benefit that's, that's that's an interesting point because um there's a few scenes in the film that actually say point to a <clears throat> religiosity in the home mm. uh, so you see that mm-hmm. um at certain points um rose who's the wife um is being prayed for mm. prayed over mm. um, there's a scene where actually in the home um it pans to a crucifix on the wall um, but actually troy's back is turned uh, to this crucifix on the yeah. wall almost as if they're trying to show that he rejects uh, faith. He rejects the gospel. Um, and that's an interesting point when you're talking about the man's duty um, to lead in the home, um, to, lo- to love his wife um, mm. in, a, in a gospel-centred way. Richard, what do you think? Um, to be honest, I think you have to... Slightly, do you know what? Kofi's given the positive view of this, and, I, and, I, and I'm thankful for that. You know, just the gospel um, and, and how that speaks to... Um, to the issues that people face and how it can help us to reform um, our views of what the home should look like, of what manhood and womanhood should uh, should look like. And that's wonderful. But there's also underlying issues that help to perpetuate some of these cyclical effects. And one of them... Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, we have to go there. And, one, and, and in my mind, one of them, one of the big issues I find is in social media, um, is, in our, is in black entertainment. Um, I, I think... I think black people often have seemed to contribute to the indulgence in morally bankrupt forms of entertainment, right? So, okay. um, and not all black media is morally bankrupt, but there are a few that have really... Um, Lowered the standard, would you say? Yeah, and really found their way into mainstream, into the mainstream. So things like world star hip-hop, um, certain aspects of BET, you know, things whereby you saw videos of you know, black women fighting other black women, black men fighting other black men. And then, you know, looking at that as a form of entertainment, mm. you know, that that in and of itself, you know, dehumanizes um, us as a people. It instantly removes, the, so, it's so far, it takes us so far away from 
what we see to be true manhood and womanhood mm. uh, according to the scripture. So I think that has to be said. And I, and, you know, I think of Habakkuk one. I think it is. I think it's Habakkuk one. You know, where the Lord says, "His eyes are too pure to behold that which is uh, that which is evil." You know, his eyes are too pure to behold iniquity, and boom. You know, uh, yeah, like. That's it. I mean, that's an interesting yeah. point you make um, because earlier in our discussion, we were talking about kinds of uh, content um, and things that we produce. And it's interesting because what you have right now is the proliferation of um, lots of, say, um, do I say uh, reality TV programs mm. that actually do much to denigrate the um, institution of the black family. And mm. this is why for some people the Obamas were so important, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what you saw in uh, Michelle and Barack Obama was a uh, a strong black family, a, a father who a, a father who loved his children, loved his two daughters, who um, made public mention of his admiration for his wife and stuff yeah. like that. Basically, the, the point is just that we do also have to take responsibility because sometimes we can say the media often do things to portray black families in a negative yeah. light. Yeah. But actually, if we're the producers of such content, um, we don't do ourselves any favours in, in seeking mm. to, to denigrate the black family. And I think just on that note as well, I think one of the things that, in my mind, frames my consumption of media, when we're talking about negative examples, so Fences was a negative example of the black home. I think when we're talking about sin... I don't have necessarily an issue with it being portrayed in a film if that scene, the film is purporting to just show the reality. Mm. However, it's a different thing when the film is seeking to glorify that sinful reality. Right, right. Which is something, for example, that we find in loads of rap music nowadays. Precisely. So if someone is saying, you know, they've, they've lived a particular life mm. and this is what their environment looks like, yeah. they're describing their environment. They're not ascertaining, um, or rather they're not asserting any sort of morality to that environment they provide right. in yeah. the script of. The moment they start to say, this is something I revel in, the violence, whatever, and so on, that is actually morally abhorrent in their society, mm. that's, that's inherently problematic. Right. And I yeah. think if we're able to make that distinction between saying, this is actually what the situation is, yeah. and, and also where it ought to be, we're on good footing. Yeah. I mean, another key theme from the film was um, parenthood. So... In the film, again, guys, sorry, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but you really should have seen the film by now. Well, don't worry. <laughs> At least now you know there's parents in the film. <laughs> um, is Troy's reluctance for his son to take up a sporting career in American football. Ooh. Now, his son's... Um, that cheap... was jealousy. That Real was talk. I mean, jealousy. Yeah. Real talk. You're, you're, uh, amongst a plethora of reasons, um, Troy says he doesn't want his son to go into a career in professional football because he thinks, actually, yeah. um, it's better for him as a black man uh, to go and get a job in trade um, and getting skills that would make him employable mm. Um, mm. to say like a big company. So I guess pertinent to, to our community particularly, do you think that black parents uh, rightly despise or wrongly despise jobs and study mm. in things like sports, media and arts? Well, before we get into it, first and foremost, they despise it. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a given. Right. right? Why do you say that? They despise it. Hey, do your parents like them? You guys, I feel, like, no. I feel hey. like my parents would have been like, listen, if you, if you enjoy this thing and uh, you're good at it, um, we Pro support you. Provided it's viable. Provided it's viable. I mean, so my dad pulled me out of football hey. when I was 11 because he didn't really see a career in it for me. But that's besides the point. That, that's, good that's, good, that's good leadership. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, bro, but, let me not even say it. But uh, personally, but yeah, um, do parents uh, 
seem to particularly African parents in my mind. Uh, I think maybe more so than Caribbean parents. Do they particularly seem to despise um, the arts and those kind of things? Not the arts in and of themselves, but the children getting into the arts. So like a career or going yeah, to do undergraduate I, I, I think I think I think in many senses. I, I think so for, for, for several reasons. I don't necessarily think they're all the same as Troy. Um, Troy was jealous. I think we can all we can all largely yeah, agree that, on that. Yeah. Um, but I think for for parents today, especially those who have who have come from places like Nigeria, places like Ghana, you know, from the Caribbean, etc., they've they've come into a country whereby it's been hard for them. And they tried to provide us with a better a better footing than they had, mm-hmm. yeah. and they're trying to get us into positions whereby we can sustain our families, etc., and those kind of things. So they want us to get into jobs whereby there's a bit more certainty, stability, isn't it? You know, yeah. And I think f- for that reason, that's why our parents are quick to push us down those routes of lawyers and doctors and all those kind of things and engineering, as though they're the only viable kind of uh, uh, jobs out there. However, you know. As as uh, as we've discussed before, you know, there's elements of risk and all that kind of stuff that they're really trying to avoid and that they don't want don't want us to have to go through. Um, and and but to be honest, today everybody has a degree anyway, so those kind of things doesn't it doesn't make it any easier now getting those kind of uh, those kind of degrees per se. Shout out to Rose, man. We haven't even spoken about um, her. Viola Davis, of course, won an yeah, Oscar. Man, I was waiting for this, man. For Best Supporting Actress. Um, for playing her fantastically. What did you guys make of mm. her character? Hey, she. Hey, as an actress, fantastic. First and foremost, mm. yeah, brilliant. You know, and as a mother, strong man. She she really did, and as a wife as well. She she really did, um, so much, man. She really did put up with a lot. Um, how she got there is obviously a, is obviously another question. Um, but what she put up with when she was in that relationship was crazy. So what do you mean by how she got there? So I mean, one of the things I guess perhaps that Richard is alluding to is the fact that Rose herself says that she comes from a broken home. Yeah, exactly. Um, and actually she tries as best as possible not to have that kind of have a cyclical effect despite the circumstance that she finds herself with her husband. Yeah, and not just that. You know, even at the start, um, at one point in the middle of the film, they were like, she was talking about how she met the dad and she was just like, oh yeah, I remember I saw that man and I was just like, yeah, um, that's the man I want to have my kids. Like, that kind of stuff is the way that you approach. Uh, a mature Christian shouldn't go and approach... Uh, a mature Christian shouldn't go and pursue their spou- their future spouse uh, just based on whether they look like the type of person they want to have kids with. Mm. And we don't know the context. We don't know whether he was in church. We don't know if he was praying. We don't know any of that kind of stuff, you know. We don't know whether he was in the pub. They don't know. We don't know anything. Well, considering that when Trey recounts his part of the story, he says something along the lines of... Um, I saw I, that I, woman I, and... Yeah, and but then she said to me, oh, I don't want no... No one who's not ready for marriage, and then that's when he was like, "Nah, I wasn't ready." But then you know, something around, yeah. like all that kind of all that kind of jazz, and eventually went for it and whatnot. But um, but yeah, I yeah. think I think there's just so much more to be considered when sure. it comes to actually pursuing. But obviously, nevertheless, she found herself in a situation that we wish she wouldn't have been in. You know, and we pray that none of our sisters uh, fall into the trap of. However, once she was in that situation, she. You know, she was a, she was a really strong woman. She really tried. She really tried to keep the marriage together. She essentially was the fence that kept everyone in the house. You know, Kofi. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I think those are some good words. Um, ultimately, I think Rose was a complex and captivating character, and that's because she exemplifies some of the positives of being a wife and motherhood, as well mm. as some of the pitfalls. Yeah, fair dues. I, I mean, I would I would just say that um, she demonstrates great poise 
Um, Absolutely. Even, even when some news is broken to her by um, Troy, um, she still tries to maintain her dignity and talks about how she has persevered in that relationship. Um, so I think she's a she's testament to black womanhood, which is often disparaged, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so shout out to Viola Davis for playing that character excellently well. Mm. I think just before, I feel like we're going to close soon, but I just want to say... Gabe was fantastic on that. Hey. I know we don't have the time to go into it, but shout even, out to Gabe. Even just the mention of mental health, yeah. something that the black community really does need to hear, exactly. is, a, is a true issue. And it's not just in the mind. It's a, it's, it's a physical issue that affects people, whether they be white or black, you know? Exactly. The last question then. Um, let's think of uh, one way in which a godly family um, would be different to what we saw in Fences. Mm, okay you're on a roll go for them (laughs) (laughs) so throughout the film i think one of the things that from the start to the end was just permeating in my mind was what we see in ephesians 6 i think where paul is outlining uh how families ought to be and one particular passage Paul speaks of fathers not provoking their children to wrath. Mm, Sally Chalk's still one of my points. Go on. Um, and I think for me, that was throughout the whole film. You could just see... Yeah, the tone in which he tried to, uh, to administer discipline was very confrontational. Exactly. Yeah. Right, so even like towards the end of the film, where Corey, his second son, is contemplating whether to go to his father's funeral, you can see the pain, the anger that's still in his heart even though his father has passed. In a biblical home, a father at all points, even when he's administering discipline, is seeking to uphold that principle of not provoking his children to wrath. Mm. I hear that. I think that was sweet. All right, so Richard, before you give your point, let's hear from mm. Dami. Dami, what do you think? Ouch. <laughs> um, I think, again, one of the things that is like a constant theme of the film, almost I'd say, is um, Troy's selfishness. Um, okay. Mm. And... Again, sorry to break it to you guys, but he's an adulterer. Um, And so one of the things that he suggests that his... Sorry, why are you sorry? Sorry, sorry. When I say sorry to break it to to you guys, obviously I'm not commending adultery. All I'm simply saying is that I don't want to just... I didn't want to spoil this for you if you haven't already seen the film. Okay, so it's spoiled now. (laughs) Um, But he suggests that Alberta, who's his adulteress, um, offers him an escape from his family life. Mm. And um, he suggests to to Rose explicitly that he he actually can't give up his adultery because he needs to think about his own well-being, um, which I thought was a very, very sad state of affairs. But Crazy. Really what I wanted to point out about that thing is that actually what a loving husband does is that he loves his wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Um, and he gives of himself in a personal and sacrificial way and he gives for her denoting her own benefit so mm. he doesn't think about oh how can I best fulfill myself fulfill my own pleasures but he thinks about how he can as it were give himself for her so um, a man loves his wife as he loves himself exactly and no mm. one despises his own body there we go mm. right, so Richard what about you what are you thinking no, yeah. um, I think those two were fantastic points uh I think just to round up, my, my point would have to be, probably just to give a bit of context, we saw the praying hands on rolls, we saw the crucifix on the wall, you know, we saw all these kind of things, but these, this, this form of Christianity that was, that was a, that was a feature of the film. Yeah, that was a feature, didn't play as strong a role within the home as one would have wished. 
Mm. And I think it's just that whole having a really theocentric, a really Christ-centered home is 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 such is just is just necessary for any if you in any sort of way really want to reflect the the home that the scripture pushes. You yeah. Know? Um, there was arguments upon arguments. There was issues upon issues. There was decisions being made. There was a lack of communication. But in all of it, there was no real praying. Um, there was no real sitting down and considering what the word of God says. Right. You know, there was no really, there was no real just letting the word of God be in a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path. So I think, I think that really, that, that's the, that was a real issue for me. Um, and I think, yeah, if we're, if we're ever going to, especially as a, as a, as a husband now, Lord willing, a father in the future, mm. um, I think that's one thing that you definitely want to implement in a, in a biblical home. You want to have the word of God as the center of it all and not just in word, but in deed. I hear that. Well, um, Okay, that brings to the end this episode of the Black Berea podcast. Thank you guys for listening. I've been Dami. Brother, I am Dami. <laughs> you did this again. <laughs> I'm Kofi. And I'm Richard. All right, take care. Thanks, guys.